Thank you all again for being here this morning on this special day in the coffee bar as we uh, close today. You'll find some uh, cake, <clears throat> also some donuts because donuts were the, um, the treat of choice in our early years, Krispy Kreme donuts, such that some kids would refer to the church as the donut church. So <laughs> it's a bit of a look at the past to have Krispy Kreme donuts today. This morning, <clears throat> excuse me, we continue our series on the topic of soul shaping. We're basing our uh, series on a, on a book called The Soul Shaper by Keith Drury, and the book is about spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices that enable us to walk more closely with God. I want to stress something this morning, <clears throat> and that is that these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual practices, whether we talk about fasting or scripture memory or silence or solitude or the one we'll talk about today, capturing thoughts, these practices do not in any way earn or gain or merit our salvation. Our salvation was secured completely by what Jesus did on the cross when he shed his blood and bore the judgment for our sins so that through placing our faith in him, our sins are removed from our account and the very righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to our accounts, and we can call God our Father. Now, having received Jesus as our Savior by faith, we enter a doorway to <clears throat> a lifetime of spiritual growth and discipleship. Think of God as the great master potter and ourselves as the clay. And with his loving hands, he is fashioning each of us into something that he envisions. His vision is that we increasingly be conformed to the image and likeness of His Son, that, that we fulfill the good works He has appointed each of us to do. And these spiritual disciplines, practices like the one we look at today, make us more malleable clay in the hands of the master potter. They help us as He is shaping us and bringing us toward His great goal for each of our lives. Now, the one we talk about today, capturing thoughts, <clears throat> frankly, I had never thought of before as a spiritual discipline. I'd never thought of it in the category with things like prayer or fasting or, or meditation on Scripture. What do we mean by capturing thoughts? We mean by recognizing that our thought life has a great deal to do with how we live our lives before God. Our thoughts can become ingrained and be become behaviors even becoming habits in life. All of us here would recognize that at certain times in life, maybe right now, we are struggling with, have struggled with thought patterns that are displeasing to God. The Bible is very clear that what we think matters to God. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, the scripture passage we're going to look at this morning has to do with the power of God's word to affect the way we think, to empower us to capture our thoughts so that our very thought lives align more fully with the will and work of God and we're more fully conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. 
The psalm that uh, you heard from just a few minutes ago, Psalm 119, is a remarkable psalm. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It has 176 verses. And at 176 verses, it's longer than a number of books of the Bible. There's some really interesting stories told about Psalm 119 because it is so long. One of the most interesting concerns a man named George Weishart, who lived in the 17th century. He was the Bishop of Edinburgh, and he had been condemned to death. He was awaiting a pardon, expecting it to come, but the time came for his execution. And as George Weishart was taken to the scaffold, awaiting his execution, he made use of a custom of the times by which the condemned person could call for a song to be sung or a psalm to be read prior to his execution. And as he was awaiting the pardon to arrive at any moment, and the great uh, George, uh, Charles Spurgeon, the, the British preacher, said of George Weishart that he was far more shrewd than he was holy. But he'd know a little bit about the Bible, and he knew enough to request the reading of Psalm 119. I once timed the reading of Psalm 119 at about 15 minutes. It takes a long time to read it aloud, and as you guessed it, the psalm literally saved his life as his pardon arrived before his execution occurred. The beautiful thing about this psalm, however, one of the beautiful things is the way it's composed. It's made up of 22 stanzas of eight verses each. And the first word in each stanza begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet consecutively throughout the psalm. The most important thing, of course, is the content of the psalm. And the theme of Psalm 119 is God's Word, the power of God's Word. There are about eight different synonyms used for God's Word in the psalm. God's law, God's statutes, God's commandments, God's decrees, God's precepts. And as we look at this psalm this morning, I want to raise the question, how can the teaching contained in Psalm 119 help us in our thought lives? What does this psalm guide us to do to grow closer to God because of the way we think? How can it enable us to better think the thoughts that God would have us to think? The first way is to recognize that which is harmful to our spiritual well-being. The psalmist writes the words on the screen you see in verses 36 and 7. It's a prayer. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. What effect does the wrong input have on our souls? That input might come from television, uh, your screens, conversation with a friend, what, what effect does that have on the way we think and upon our souls? As I was reading through this psalm, I thought, gosh, the writer of this psalm, I wonder what he meant when he said, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. I mean, that was a different world hundreds of years before Christ. How many worthless things were there to look at? Certainly, that's always been the case in human history, but now today, you're holding in your hand, perhaps, or maybe in your pocket or in your purse, a little device, your phone. 
that can bring before your eyes any conceivable image that exists, perhaps inconceivable things. The temptations abound today, right now for us in our world, and I think they surpass any time in human history. That has to be the case. So more than ever, we need prayers like the prayer you see on the screen. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things to give me life in your ways. Thoughts can shape our behavior. And at the very least, thoughts can make us feel condemned, rejected, unclean. They can hinder our assurance, our security before the Lord. They can rob us of peace with God. Starting place is to recognize that which is harmful and then to confess that which is sin. The way to begin to break the power of sin in your life is to acknowledge it, to recognize it for what it is, to confess it before God. At the same time, to recognize the cost of wrong thinking that leads to wrong desires. Because wrong thinking that leads to wrong desires can result in wrong behaviors, that is, sin. A third way is to starve the source, in the words of Keith Rury in his book. In other words, know where you are weak. Know the things that affect your thinking wrongly, negatively. It may be a website, it may be a television show, and every time you watch that show, you, you, you cut off the television, you've got images in your mind you wish were not there. It may be books you read or novels, it may be a conversation with a friend, and when you leave this group of friends, you find yourself struggling because you've heard slander and gossip, or maybe something that makes you very, very angry. Starve the source, recognize the input. Recognize that which is harmful to our spiritual well-being. The psalm would also guide us, though, to recognize that which makes us stronger and more holy. And so the psalmist says, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. In other words, let your statutes help me to walk in your ways. Then I'll not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The point is that God's word has the power to purify even our thoughts. As Keith Drury says in his book, the road to pure thoughts always runs through Scripture. In the Bible... There are a number of different images used for God's Word. God's Word is compared to fire. Prophet Jeremiah said, Is not my word like a fire, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It's compared to a sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's compared to spiritual food. It's compared to milk. We're told to sincerely desire the sincere milk of the Word. One of the particularly beautiful images of God's Word is that it is compared to water. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians saying that Jesus Christ cleanses, sanctifies His people, His church, with the washing of water by the Word. Here's why I think this is so important. Most of us struggle in life 
with thoughts that we know displease God. Thoughts of uh, lust, impurity, some immorality, perhaps covetousness. Maybe you find yourself thinking about money too often, too much. Maybe you worry about it too much. Maybe you're coveting. Maybe you're consumed with anger and you're struggling with these thoughts. Maybe you're like the, the, uh, the college student who, who said, you know, I've come to faith in Jesus. I know I'm a Christian, but in my past, I have looked at so much pornography and I feel unclean. I know I'm saved, but I feel unclean. I can't get the images out of my mind. Is there any hope for me? And the answer is yes. Because light is greater than darkness. The water of the word of God has the power to cleanse impurities. It will take a steadfast commitment like the writer of this psalm expressed, writing these words, to let the word of God begin to wash your mind, to fix your eyes on it, to meditate upon it, to let it shape your life, and yes, to displace wrong ways of thinking, wrong thought patterns. It leads me to the third thing the psalm leads us to do, and that is to practice divine displacement. The writer says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I'll meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. To meditate or to fix one's eyes is more than just reading through a passage of Scripture hurriedly in the morning. It's the thought of reflecting upon, focused thinking on a verse of Scripture. Sometimes I get more out of spending five minutes just reflecting upon one verse word by word than I do reading five chapters. If you want help in this whole area of biblical meditation, we've got a little booklet at our resource center that's free, that's free that can help guide you in that. The point is that to overcome wrong thinking, it takes more than hurried reading. It takes some reflection on God's Word. Now, what do we mean by divine displacement? What is that all about? Simply referring to the fact that a new and greater desire can displace a wrong and lesser desire. Light is greater than darkness. Water washes away impurity. A new and greater desire can displace a wrong and lesser desire. This concept of divine displacement was taught by a church leader in Scotland named Thomas Chalmers. Thomas Chalmers lived from 1780 to 1847. He was a brilliant man. He was a professor at the University of St. Andrews and University of Edinburgh. He taught philosophy, theology. He had a great understanding of economics, and he really helped the church understand how Bible-believing Christians are responsible not just to share the gospel, but to help the poor. And so he had tremendous influence in his life. Some of his sermons are still in print today, and one of those uh, is a remarkable little sermon. I've got it in booklet form, and the title is this, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, not the Explosive Power. 
not talking about exploding something. He's talking about expelling something, driving something out. And let's look at just a couple of lines from his book, from his sermon. It's in print as a booklet now. And he makes this point. Such is the grasping tendency of the human heart that it must have something to lay hold of. In other words, the human heart is made to desire something. The human heart will seek something to delight in. Created to seek and delight in God, but because of the corruption of sin in our world, the human heart attaches itself to other things. Maybe drugs, maybe a love of money, maybe some form of immorality, maybe covetousness. He says the only way to dispossess the human heart, that is, of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one, a greater affection, driving out a lesser one. The best way of casting out an impure affection is to admit a pure one. And by the love of what is good, to expel the love of what is evil. And then he adds, we know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our heart than to keep in our hearts the love of God. This, I think, is the great key. And I think there's hope for every one of us in this room to have a greater fullness, a greater experience of the love of God in our hearts, such an experience that it will begin to drive out impure, lesser desires. If you have embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, recognized your sin, recognized that only Jesus could pay for that sin, and if by faith you have accepted what he's done, he's come into your life, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within. Having the Holy Spirit dwelling within, it is very important to yield your life fully to his control. The Bible commands, be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, pours the love of God into our hearts. It is possible for every Christian to come to the place in our spiritual lives where the love of God so fills our hearts that it drives out the impure desires. And we can come to the place where we can say what the psalm writer says in verses 97 to 103. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. As we draw to a close, I'd like to raise two questions by way of application. The first is this. Ask yourself, is God showing me right now any persistent area of my thought life that is displeasing to him? Any thought pattern that is in opposition to God's will, his way, his word. If so, there's great hope for you. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit and your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's important to ask yourself, how can I apply Scripture to practice divine displacement? Love of God at work in you. The power of Scripture, which washes God's people like water, has the ability to displace wrong patterns of thinking and to help us live a life of capturing thoughts for the glory of God. Would you join me as we pray about that right now? Father, we stand before you in the name of the only one who can save, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Father, I pray today for anyone here who is not yet your disciple, not yet your follower, who's not yet by faith embraced the fullness of your salvation, that you would lead that person today to grasp the fact that there is no other way to the Father except through the Son. For those of us who are your children, Lord, would you show us the thought patterns that are wrong in your eyes? Show us those things we reflect upon. Show us those things we expose our minds to that lead us from your path. Help us to purify our lives and our minds by focus upon your word. Would you meet each person in this room today, right where we are, to help us move forward in the area of our thought lives by giving you the lordship in that part of our being. Thank you for your care, your grace, your goodness. We thank you this morning for the gift of your holy word by which you work so mightily in your people. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ.